Hello everyone and welcome back to the Reactive Attachments Podcast. I am Taylor and I will be rambling on for what, an hour or less hopefully, maybe less today. Um, I wanted to start by saying that I hope everyone's friends, family, children, jobs, co-workers, that everyone is um, healthy. We may be pissed off, frustrated, scared, broke, arguing with landlords, but um, if everyone's alive, then there's an opportunity, you know, <laughs> to still save um, save ourselves in whatever situations we may be in. But I found out today that my niece is um, the director for her volleyball team. Um, the husband passed away from COVID, and, you know, there's a few situations like that that have um, come close to me, but nothing um, has happened to me personally, although I do think I had it, um, but a lot of people think they had it, so who knows. Um, anyway, long story short, I hope that everyone is healthy, um, maybe infuriated, maybe um, about to kill their kids who haven't been in school in a long time now, but uh, hopefully everybody's safe, um, their health is safe, and their families are together. So I want to also thank the essential workers out there. Um, I know that there are a few um, ER nurses that listen to this podcast. And I just want to send my love and support and gratitude. And yeah, I just want to just chit chat. Um, I do have half of an episode recorded that I've attempted to record multiple times about adoption regret. But I'm going to actually save that. Because I have a special guest that's supposed to be coming on the show soon. So I'm going to wait. And if I can get this young lady on, I think that would be the best way to bring up. Um, Not saying that she regrets her adoption or whatever, but I just want her story to be told. So um, she's awesome. She did tell me that she is going to do the podcast. So I'm very much looking forward to that moment. Um, so I'm actually going to follow up with her about it shortly. So anyway, I wanted to talk about, um, triangulation is one of the things that I wanted to mention. And I don't know where all this is going to go. I mean, it may go in a different direction completely, but I just wanted to start with triangulation and, um, I'm going to read that definition to you guys. We've all been triangulated, manipulated by attachment disorder children. Let's see. All right, so emotional triangulation is a strategy that emotionally unstable people can use to manipulate a situation. It can become a chronic process for individuals who are inclined to be manipulative in order to get their way or to pit people against each other. What is triangulation in a family? This occurs when an outside person intervenes or is drawn into a conflict or stressful relationship in an attempt to ease tension or facilitate communication. This situation is often seen in family therapy. And basically what it is, is when you have, um, you usually have the attached uh, disorder child and that child is going to be the victim. So if you're looking at a triangle, you have the victim, um, which is the child who is also the um, main contributor of the manipulation that is triangulation. They are going to be the victim. You are going to be the villain. And then there's going to be a savior. Um, and that's going to be the person from church, the teacher, the caseworker, the neighbor, the whoever. 
um, the bio parents, the grandparents, whoever is being played um, in that in that role. But it's there. There's almost always a person that is being triangulated into your life. Um, in my experience, so we see the constant triangulation, and we see it um, playing out over time with lots of different people. So, for example, um, we will have it in interfamily triangulation so like there will be times where maybe dad's been manipulated to believe that you have been extremely and um unfairly difficult and tough on the child and that you're being mean that you're being too hard you're not being realistic you're not being fair all the way up to um lies and accusations about physical sexual emotional abuse even within the family. So we have to be always aware of who's, who's um, narrating the story. Parent splitting is something that even in a regular blended family should never be allowed, in my opinion. Um, it wasn't allowed when I was growing up. So I, I benefited from that. Um, my, my stepdad and my mom came as a united front. If they disagreed, they did it privately, but they stood together in my presence, you know? Um, <clears throat> triangulation goes hand in hand with that, um, with the feeling um, that the, often, most, most of the time, it's going to be the maternal figure. Um, the maternal figure is always the nurturing enemy. I, I don't say always. Most of the time is the nurturing enemy. They're the ones that do the most for the child. They're the ones with the child the most. They're the ones that um, usually are showing the most effort to bond. And they're being rejected by the child um, for anyone. So, mom, let's say, sorry, I'm eating like Tums for my, I'm chewing Tums for my Harvard. Uh, let's say that, let's do the church role, the church scenario. <clears throat> so mom is part of a women's group at church and they do like a Sunday school type thing at the same time. So mom goes to do her women's group Bible study and <clears throat> the child goes to their Maybe it's like a Wednesday night Bible study for kids or whatever. And when it's over, they always go to dinner. And this is obviously a, a spiritual um, obligation for the child, but also a bonding experience for the mom and the child. However, <clears throat> the kids using this as an opportunity to tell the the Bible, the Bible study teacher, all of these stories, and they slowly start. Sorry I'm late today. My mom was yelling at me in the car and because I forgot my book bag, and um, I, so I don't have my work, and I'm really sorry. I told her I didn't want to be late, and I didn't want to get in trouble, and I didn't want you to be mad. I didn't want to miss anything, and she just kept yelling, and I'm so sorry. And Okay, so it's like this whole worked up emotional 
ruse. And the, the, the Bible study teacher like, it's cool. It's fine. It's no big deal. I'm sorry that happened. It's okay. No, don't worry. You didn't miss anything. No, no worries. So she's shown her vulnerability and her, her softness next week comes. And, uh, kid comes in and kids on time, but kid instantly puts on like the sad, um, you know, emotional kind of drawing, drawing to me any emotional response in the room from adults, um, sits up front, doesn't sit with his friends, whatever, um, or her friends. And as the Bible study starts, you know, the kid gets up, goes to the bathroom, comes back crying. It's like, okay. So obviously there's two, two moments where the child has made an, um, a a play for the teacher's um, attention. So after class is over and everybody's filing out, she pulls the child to the side and she said, Hey, I noticed you look sad today. Are you okay? Like, are you still in trouble? Whatever, you know, just a normal show of interest. And the kid makes up another story or exaggerates something else. I was supposed to talk to my mom, my bio mom today. And because she's like on drugs and stuff, so I don't live with her. That's why I live with my Miss Sherry, my stepmom. And um, I was supposed to see her, but she just did her drugs instead. And she didn't come and see me. And so I'm just really sad. Now, that could be true or not true. But is it appropriate to tell? Mm -hmm. It depends. So... Next week comes. Now the kid is safe, feeling safe. There's more story to tell. This woman now knows that this child lives with Miss Sherry, the adoptive parent, and that his bio parents on drugs. And ultimately, he's gonna he or she. I'm, I'm gender doesn't matter. Just whatever. Um, he or she has now been thinking all week how to how to play this they've determined okay this is a person that's soft there is an opportunity what do i do how do i play this to my advantage so kid comes into class on time everything's normal teacher smiles hey hi um child how are you blah 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 Actually, I was wondering if you could step outside in the hallway and talk to me really quick because I just had a really upsetting day, blah, 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 whatever. And then, and then really starts the shit show of manipulation. And let's say the child's objective is to go live with bio mom or grandparents or something. So now he's going to, he or she is going to give the whole story of, of his very sad life and all of the disadvantages that come along with that. If it's an older child, and I've seen this many times, that, that's in it for the long game, they're going to tell all the sad stories about it, his life, painting the person that he wants to live with, um, he or she wants to live with, in a, in a positive light, intermittently in the story. So, my mom's on drugs, blah, 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 this and that. My grandma you know, has done everything and she just really tried really hard to get my mom to do right. And my mom just, my mom just couldn't whatever. And then my grandma, like she bought all my school clothes. She did this, she did that depends on, on the scenario, obviously. But so it's going to start kind of highlighting this other person bringing in another either objective or human or opportunity or whatever it is. 
And then from there, the next conversation or possibly the same conversation is going to be about why Miss Sherry, your adoptive mom, is the biggest bitch, the worst mom ever, the meanest lady on the planet, the most abusive, why it's, it's, and it's going to start quick. So once the sob story has been given and then the, um, the abuse story or the victimhood story has been given, that's when things get serious, you know, like, um, fast forward, the story has been told about uh, the biological situation or however, you know, whatever the situation is that, that got the kid placed in what would normally be considered a very caring, loving home with like generous people that were, you should be grateful that they're taking care of you. So first you got to paint the sad story. Then they paint the reason, the secondary story. A lot of times this happens uh, like so often. Then from there, they start kind of asking for the favor. So whether they're asking directly or not, it depends on the situation, but ultimately they're gonna find a person that will be driven to confront and defend. So now fast forward to mom. Mom's going every week, fighting the battles. Miss Sherry, the adoptive mom, fighting these battles. And um, you know, Wednesday is a day that she wanted to look forward to. And she's approached by the Bible study teacher. So, four weeks of work have gone into this moment. And Bible study is still going on. And um, we'll just say Rad is in the classroom doing whatever. And she excuses herself. She goes to the adult women's study. And she pulls mom out to confront she says, I hate to bother you. I know that this is awkward and I'm so sorry, but I've been talking to Rad every week and, you know, I just wanted to reach out to you and just, and just tell you, like, I think it's great what you're doing and it's, I know it's hard, you know, but really like every, every week he comes in and he's so sad and he's really struggling about his mom and his grandma. And I, I know that, you know, you're just trying to give him structure and it's really not my place, but I just want to tell you, like, he is so good and he is so sweet and he really, he really just, he's really sad. And I just want you to know that like, we love him on Wednesday night. We're so glad you guys are coming. And like, you know, if he's a little bit late, it's fine. And so here's Miss Sherry dumbfounded, shocked, pissed, offended, embarrassed, and confused. And she's like, oh, okay, thanks. Great. The very first confrontation is always awkward. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, awesome. All right, thank you. And, and, and everything's going well? Okay, perfect. Wonderful. All right, thank you so much. Then now, Miss Sherry doesn't know about triangulation. She doesn't know exactly what's going on yet. So now she confronts Radkid and she's like, why, what is going on? Why are you going in there upset about your biological mom and telling them all your business? Like what's going on over there when you come to class on Wednesday for Bible study? And the kid acts nonchalant. Oh, nothing. Like I was sad that one time when you know, I was supposed to see my mom and she didn't show up, but I don't know, like everything is fine. I just go in there. I really like go in there and she's really nice to me and I just do my work. She's like, what? How did, okay. 
All right, well, let's not go around telling everybody your business about your mom, you know? Like, it's probably not appropriate. Um, you know, I'll, like, let's talk about that before you go around telling people about your mom and your whole story here at our church. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So she's a little shook. Like, I can't believe this lady confronted me. I don't really know what's going on. This is weird. Next week, Wednesday comes. Guess what? Next week comes, and we have a little a little game to play. So, hey, my mom was, like, really mad that you said something to her, and I got yelled at the whole way home. And I'm sorry, like, I wasn't trying to – I didn't want you to go tell my mom anything. Like, I, I knew I would get in trouble. I shouldn't have said anything to you about my biological mom because Miss Sherry, she's, like – she doesn't like to talk – she doesn't like when I talk about my mom. All right, so now we have – a victim who is 100% playing the game. We now have a rescuer. We have an objective somewhere, which I'm not going to pick one. I just, it could be anything. We have the nurturing enemy who is now the villain. And, the, and, and thus it begins. So that is triangulation. And ultimately, I mean, I've personally been in the situation where the this um, ill-equipped unaware external party is now being <laughs> manipulated because ultimately I want to go live with uh, Miss uh, let's just say Miss Amanda I want to go live with Miss Amanda I'm going to go to school out there okay Miss Amanda has five kids you can't live with Miss Amanda well, she's a friend of the family, and she said that she wants me to do dance and sing and blah, 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 blah. And, and I, she said I can live there, and I can go to school, and I show blah, 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 do all this stuff. Like, okay, but that's not, not going to happen. Well, she manipulates her dad and whoever else to go out there and stay for a couple of days during the summer. And nobody realizes that the nephew, this, this woman's nephew, and my kid are hooking up. And she has now thrown her dad, who she's always defending, right? Like, her dad is her hero. She will lie, cheat, steal, and whatever for him until she wanted to go and live with her boyfriend, basically. So then she throws dad under the bus. All dad's issues and drug use and lies and whatever. All the things that she had been, you know, spending the last visitation term the summer whatever with him um she spent lying and basically covering for him so she could stay there until the opportunity presented itself that she might could live with her boyfriend and she was willing to you know do whatever to to make that happen so now dad's truths are out in the street all his business is out to everyone and she's crying and she's you know, devastated about it, and, you know, uh, 
she can't live with any of the rest of the people in her fit actual family, myself or her aunt. She doesn't want to live with any of us now because we all have too much on our plate. And, you know, my mom had just passed and her aunt, um, her dad's sister has, you know, four kids and they just have so much going on. Miss Amanda's the only one that is a suitable choice all of a sudden, even though she also has five kids. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, they, it doesn't matter. These these moments are cutthroat. If there is any angle that can be played to get them what they want, they're going to go for it at whatever cost. And a lot of times that cost is our reputation. So triangulation really does affect um, your social status, your, your standing amongst other moms um, or parents in general. And um, we are so ill-equipped in the beginning of a of a guardianship or foster to adopt situation when when we've been in a honeymoon phase so like these kids go in and out of their honeymoon honeymoon phases and ultimately what that means is like everything seems like a breakthrough you seem like you're really bonding and they're just learning they're learning you they're um starting to mimic the characteristics and behaviors that they think you want to see um they're trying to see where the boundaries are during this time and you really I mean it'll happen over and over again for a very long period of time forever you know um you will honeymoon and have breakthroughs that are just not real time and time again so a lot of times the triangulation comes um in more dangerous situations and I mean dangerous as in like um the stakes are higher so you know, you have biological children at the house and this triangulation is occurring with the BCF worker or the caseworker or the guardian ad litem or somebody like that. And they're telling these stories, um, that will jeopardize the, the biological children of the household as well. Um, and that is not a consideration nor, um, should it ever be shown as a weakness because then it becomes a tactic a lot of times. And it's something they keep in their back pocket for forever. I mean, ask any any person right now that has a situation like this, um, you know, a rad child that they're trying to, say, like, reverse their adoption or whatever the case may be. And they'll tell you, um, you know, if there's biological children involved, the stakes are so much higher because they're aware of that. And not only are they aware, but they're jealous. They're jealous that they're not the object of your uh most protective behavior they're jealous that they aren't with their own biological parents i mean there's a a a multitude of possibilities of what negative um envious feelings they may be having and what who they're towards and why um i mean i've seen things as horrendous as they're jealous because they're in love with the husband and they're torturing the wife, basically, the mom, the would-have-been mom. Um, and, you know, the minute that they can pick up on where your weak spots are, that's going to become part of a manipulation storyline at some point. Um, I was the nurturing enemy. Um, anytime I'm the... When I've been throughout the years, there have been times that um, my rad child stayed with the paternal aunt and she's the nurturing enemy in that situation. And um, any time that I, she was in my care or the aunt's care, 
Um, she knew. She knew where the weak spots were, like when I was in college. And I was also taking care of her full time. Um, she would do things to make it very difficult for me to maintain my schedule. Um, I dropped out of multiple classes um, that this the year that I'm speaking of specifically because I made it clear that I was panicked about it. So she made it her number one objective that I would be late to class, that I would um, be late to work. She actually was in first grade at this point and specifically chose to defecate in her clothes every day. She wanted to live with her aunt at this point. Um, and so she straight up told me like she was going to keep doing it until I got fired because she wanted to live with her aunt and she's just going to, that was her, that was her rebellious act. Um, and she ultimately, I'll tell you the truth. She got her way then. And then she came back to live with me when the aunt had had all she could take. Um, and she had her peak moment, if you will. And, um, you know, she was with us again for a couple of years. And then she went back to her, you know, she went to live with her father. Um, and, you know, I know they say, oh, well, that's exactly what they want. They want to push the boundary and be shown that you're not going to give up. You're not going to abandon them. You're not going to, you know, throw them away. But that's not true. That is, that is not true. You can fight that um, battle forever and always, and you'll never win it. There is, you know, you can't win the battle or the war, if you will. It's never going to happen because they're always going to be looking for the most advantageous situation. And they're always going to just cycle into triangulation and manipulation to get there. And the best thing to fuel that fire is to put in their back pocket whatever makes you weak. Whether it's your children, your marriage, your job, your reputation, your friendship group, um, your animals. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, when my kid was still here, um, and she was actually participating in this podcast, we discussed, um, a situation that came across in a message about a baby. And she may have actually, I think if you listen to the episode that she did, um, she may have talked about it then we did one together. I think she did one by herself, but basically she was just saying that like, she can understand the the situation when um, a new baby, like you're in a blended family and your stepmom and dad have a baby together and that baby's getting all the attention and the feeling of wanting to remove that baby from the situation that she can, that resonated with her. She could understand that the child in this situation was threatening to, or not threatening to, but, um, in multiple situations had shown a willingness to injure the child, did not want to bond with the child, didn't like the baby, didn't like the stepmom. And, um, even, even a, uh, a therapist was concerned at the time for the, for the baby, the baby's safety. And, um, the state was not moving very quickly and this was an infant and she just, this woman wanted, um, an opinion or advice or whatever. And my kid was like, get the baby out and away 
from the kid, from the, from the rat child, because if they're telling you with their actions and their behavior that they're going to injure this baby, they want the baby removed from this situation. I think the, the rat child was like nine, eight or nine. She said, um, I would believe them because, you know, that behavior is, is, is a display of, of the true feeling that this child has and that if you want to keep them, you know, they didn't want to believe nobody in the family wanted to believe that she, she could hurt the infant. And, um, that isn't always the case. I mean, sometimes the act of violence, especially when you're dealing with girls, um, isn't one that you're really going to see come to fruition. And maybe it'll be like a rage. The child might rage, um, in, um, opposition to whatever it is, the child might be very difficult to deal with and just have restless, you know, rebellious behavior. But boys are usually the ones that will, in my experience, um, show signs of violence. So if you see a situation that is becoming aggressive and violent from a girl who is repetitively being that way and it's somewhat obscure behavior, I would be alarmed immediately um, that if she has decided <laughs> that she's going to resort to that kind of behavior. And it, of course, this isn't everybody's situation. I mean, there are plenty of young girls that have an attachment disorder that are violent, but the vast majority of them are not. Um, in my 15 years of experience, it is not usually, and I'm talking about, you know, children, um, through teenagers, you know, it's usually not that their most damage is usually done in the manipulation and the triangulation, the gaslighting and, and whatnot, the rejection and the, um, strategic narcissistic type, um, borderline type behaviors. So when you see violence start to show or physical retaliation of any kind, um, take that, heed that warning because you've now moved into a, a truly, a truly, um, scary place if you are seeing physical signs from a child that doesn't typically present that way. Um, and there's, there are other, uh, tactics as well. A lot of times there are. Um, you know, the, the act of showing what you want to someone who's your enemy, for example, like, um, your husband's mother, your mother-in-law doesn't agree with your parenting or your, um, domesticated, um, your domesticated uh, habits, the way you cook, the way you clean, whatever. And so the child starts to pick up on that and the child starts to see that there's a, there's a discomfort, there's a power struggle happening. And the minute that that child sees it is the minute that it becomes a game piece, if you will. So, um, she's going to start asking for when's nanny coming over? I miss my nanny. I wish my, I wish nanny would come over and it's going to just enrage you. Even if you don't show that you're mad, you're going to feel, you're, you're going to even be shocked maybe at how you feel. You're going to feel instantly 
the feeling she wants you to feel. Discontent, offended, hurt, angry, annoyed. Um, it's going to push your buttons to the point of maybe you lash out and say something you shouldn't say. I've been a victim of that myself when we were going through the power struggle with that. Um, her wanting to live with her aunt, for example. And I made some comments. Uh, you know, I get to a point where I was probably making comments regularly. Um, unfortunately, I was very much frustrated and I was immature and I made adult, you know, remarks to a child who wanted me to do exactly that. And then she repeated it. And these are very, uh, you know, out of anger and hurt myself that I said these things. So they're not things that I even meant, whether they were true or not, they were just hurtful. And what better way to keep that separation and that animosity going than my very petty personal, um, attack of, you know, that I would never say to her, to her myself, of course. Um, and I'll, I'll actually just go ahead and say what it is. Um, and it was, your aunt can't even read, but you're going to tell me what she, you know, I'm in college and I'm feeling like I'm the smartest person in the room. And, uh, I'm like, she can barely read. Like, don't tell me what the fuck, you know, going off, whatever. Um, and yeah, she was excited for that because she took that right back to her aunt and, you know, and I I don't know, it is not even remotely true. Like she, she dropped out of school when she was young, but she's far more successful than I am. She has more investments. Her finances are in way better shape. She's actually had to rent me a home. I mean, so my comment, um, it was nothing more than an, uh, you know, an uh, arrogant um, display of my emotional stress at the time. And um, it was very petty to say, but it was just another, not, you know, nail in the coffin. And luckily we're very, very close now. Um, but at that time we did not see eye to eye on anything. And it was very difficult raising this child with us both being worlds apart in our feeling and belief and ability to see through bullshit and whatever else. Um, and I'm grateful that I am the kind of person that is willing and able to quickly own my shit the minute I realize it. And, um, I'm very grateful that I'm that kind of person and that I was able to salvage that relationship because it's a very important relationship to me. But, um, you know, and now here's the best part. So a lot of times we don't get to see all these things play out because these, these people in these moments are, they're not very important in our lives. Like, you know, you may leave the church where this Sunday school teacher, um, intervened early on in your adoption seasons. Well, in this situation, the aunt and I, um, we have, you know, gone back and forth on caring for the kid. And so we've been in constant communication, no matter where she lived, if she was with me or with her through the years. And, um, you know, eventually we ironed our shit out. And during this time, um, you know, we, we had decided that I would kind of remain silent, 
Um, so I wasn't communicating with the child very much during this season of our our story. Um, and she didn't realize that I was still heavily involved and constantly in contact with the aunt. And so conveniently, when she came to live with me, she had no recollection of her strong desires and tactics to live with her aunt because they were on such bad terms by, by this point. She's like, I can't even imagine that I would ever, that I would ever want that. Like I, I hate it there. It's so bad. And, and I just was not with the shit at all. So I'm like, Oh, well, you said this happened. You said that happened. Well, guess what? And then I show her, you know, the, the, the messages, the conversations, like I was always in communication. I know exactly what happened that day because I was consulted with. Um, and so we were able to, I was able to step back in and we were able to move forward with a different plan. So she was living with me. Um, and I would shield her from some of the trauma response. However, I would never co-sign her shit. So there was no ability to triangulate. There was no ability to, even if I didn't agree with something that the aunt had done, I would not show that because none of it was detrimental enough to matter. It was just a difference of opinion, really. But I had... Of all the adults, I had the most firm, and I still believe this today, understanding of who she is and what her attachment disorder says and how it behaves. Um, Whereas a lot of the family think it's just either, you know, um, well, she's been through a lot, you know, or like, she's just a teenager, she's just a kid, she's just this. So... Uh, she's just like her biological mom, you know, whatever, you know, shit like that. So I'm the one that has the, the firmest understanding of the psychology behind what's going on. And so I was the one least played most of the time when it came to these type of situations. Um, so being able to see through that, it doesn't even matter, um, what you, who you are and what you see, what you know about your kid when you're dealing with certain folks, like, the guidance counselor at school or the caseworker, whatever. So, um, when you drop your kid off at school and you think that your kid is going to class and whatever, but really it turns out every week or every day, even your kid is spending hours in the guidance counselor's office or your kid is spending hours in the, um, you know, uh, like the nurse's office or with an administration or even with a teacher, there's a story that always, um, comes to mind where the child is dropped off at school and removes the his, his shoes and goes to the nurse without shoes on. Like, Oh, I don't have shoes. My mom just, you know, she doesn't send me to school with shoes or ragged, you know, like something crazy about the shoes. Like it's always something, but decided to take, and this child was very young, elementary, young elementary, school aged. And um, so the school nurse sends the child home with new shoes. And so the child's wearing these shoes, very bold, very matter of fact, like, oh, these came from so-and-so, the school nurse, whatever the name was. And 
obviously bells are going off. I can't remember in this story specifically if there was a note attached. And basically like, hey, uh, since you didn't have any shoes on this child, I decided to buy him a pair of shoes. Please make sure he wears shoes to school. So, you know, something terrible like that. Um, it's just like, okay, so why, why would a, let's say, seven, eight-year-old child do something so, I mean, so out there as far as manipulation goes, as far as, um, you know, the skill set <laughs> required to to know at seven or eight years old that this is a good one, this is a big one, this is a person, this is a scenario that I can really play. Like, why and how does a child um, that young even have the, the wherewithal, the knowledge, the ability to strategically come up with something like this, right? Like, how the hell does something like that happen? And it just goes to show you how natural the, the gaslighting, the triangulation, the skill set, um, what, what we would think of as a skill set anyway, um, it, it is just ingrained in them. It isn't even intentional. It's not like they know that they are actively doing this thing. While they know they are actively coming up with a strategy, they're actively planning and plotting, they don't realize at age six why they're doing it or whatever. Um, it is just really and truly part of them, and that's where the scary um, nature of something like this comes from. It's, it's unpredictably organic, if that makes any sense. Um, and the boundaries vary from child to child situation to situation I mean it depends on what they see that they want or think that they should have um and maybe it goes back to um in this situation like let's just say for example maybe there was an argument three weeks prior about shoes or new shoes or maybe he left shoes at the grandma's house or you know You'll, something that is just normal, everyday kid shit to you can become this obsession. And the object um, becomes malicious. So there's these, these malicious, obsessive, driving thoughts to um, square up or knock you down a peg or to even the playing field, if you will. Um, and that isn't something that you expect from a six-year-old, right? So, like, the first time you may feel or it may be very alarming to you. And you may take on the, um, the feeling of, how did we end up here? Like, I must have done something wrong. I must have sent the wrong message to this child. Or I must have, you know, maybe I was too hard. Or maybe at this point you get a third uh, or a secondary triangulation going on where... Now dad's involved and dad feels like obviously you were too hard on the child because now, you know, the school nurse is sending home shoes. Like maybe we should have let him learn that lesson a different way because obviously this was too much and now you're at odds with your husband and you feel guilty and whatever else. So I could make these scenarios go on and on and on forever. I could give you a million examples that I've witnessed and experienced myself or heard over the years, but I think you get it. I think that 
the triangulation with child with a child is one of their best um, tools in their tool set because they are regularly pulling in and preparing. I mean, they may have one storyline playing out with the school nurse and one playing out with the um, with the Sunday school teacher, and they may have one playing out between you and your husband or a sibling. There, there, there may be multiple triangulated narratives going on, and you are the villain in almost all of them, and it causes us to feel crazy and so triangulation is something that I would say if you're about to um, or like if you know somebody that's about to adopt or if you're somehow listening to this and you're considering adopting a foster child or something and you're not really familiarized (laughs) you haven't familiarized yourself with triangulation what that means and what that looks like I would say you are in no way um, equipped to adopt a child that has any kind of attachment um, concerns behavioral developmental concerns, you need to really, really consider um, and, and, and research triangulation and the tactics that you need to be prepared to deploy in your home to protect yourself from it because it is, um, it does induce trauma responses from the adults a lot of times. Um, and it, it ends up isolating the child because you're afraid for the child to visit anyone or go anywhere. Um, the child has in your mind whether it's true and actively happening or if it is about to happen or um, could happen whatever the your your family your friends have turned against you or they don't um, trust your ability to parent you start to get paranoid um, that you're going to lose your biological kids maybe like there's all kinds of versions of this that that are very real they are very much um, happening all across America right now where biological children are being removed along with the adopted or foster child in order to um, act or respond to allegations that are made, um, false allegations that are made by the rad child in a triangulation that has escalated to the worst case scenario. So if you think for one moment that you just heard me ramble on about triangulation and it doesn't seem like it will apply to your case or your situation, and your kid just needs lots of love and lots of patience and they will be just fine, then you are the least equipped person to adopt that kind of child, which is most likely going to be all of the children that are available to be adopted or fostered because, let's be honest, many of them, if not all or most, are going to have severe, very severe attachment um, issues or disorders. Otherwise, um, if, if not, then I would say the situation is one where it's not going to be permanent. Like it's an older child that's um, going to be temporarily placed or something. But I have yet to really see um, any children go through a foster situation to a permanent integration that doesn't have some kind of attachment disorder, and that's just the facts. I hate to say that. I hate to generalize, but um, I think it's been very obvious that that's how I feel anyway, so I don't think it comes as a surprise to any regular listeners, but um, I think it makes perfect sense, and we just like to pretend that we can integrate children um, and pretend that they're just the same as a biological child, even though we should know that is not the case. Um, 
we should know that there's a trauma associated with these lifestyles that require a special level of skill um, and parenting that is is and is not the same as the way you parent your um, attached children. It is and it is not the same that you, um, the way you prepare yourself to parent seasons of the child's life, like what teenagers or, um, you know, children go, you know, moving into puberty. Um, there is a optimism in the caution, of course, but there is a caution that needs to be applied at all times. Like, I'm not saying that to sound like alarmist, but there is a, um, a skill set training an awareness that should should always be intact but also there should be a mechanism of um expectation for the next season so like you should understand before triangulation ever happens while you're in a honeymoon that you're in a honeymoon phase and that you should understand manipulation triangulation and nurturing enemy type situations are on the horizon if you are not waiting and prepared for those things and able to say oh looks like they've arrived here's my plan here's how I'm going to deal with it and it's not that you should even change your your um vulnerable your vulnerabilities necessarily or that you should change anything about your parenting style in the sense of like I like to be consistent with positive reinforcement or we like to do you know this kind of reward system or whatever <clears throat> you shouldn't necessarily change that um as a core system in your household but you need to be aware like okay all my kids at 15 get cell phones okay well you can continue that and that can be the 15 year old uh you know milestone in your house but it needs to look very different than it does for a one of your biological children you need to have an awareness of the child that you have adopted or that you are fostering um, or, you know, giving care to. And you need to have an awareness of what the real capacity to operate something with freedom is um, when it comes to a device. If you don't, if you're having to learn every lesson the hard way, you are going to struggle as a parent, as an individual, as a person that is a social being that has friends, is a family member. Um, of a bigger family, you know, whatever exposure you need to understand that those things in your life will be impacted. If you, if you go into something like this with poor, um, managed expectations and poor knowledge, um, of attachment disorders and what those behaviors are and what you can expect and, how to respond appropriately. If you go into this and you're not primed, you and the child will suffer. But most importantly, and I'm saying this because my job is to provide support to the care, the caregivers. Okay. There's a lot of support out there for the children. Um, so my job isn't to recognize that my job isn't to tell someone who's trying to um, deal with triangulation in the home or whatever, um, isn't to tell them why the child should be, um, shown patience or given, you know, additional empathy or sympathy. It's, it's to provide support, 
mostly to the providers of the care for the child because um, they're the ones that are being isolated and um, their lives are being impacted. This child can leave at 18 years old and, you know, go on if they haven't already. Um, And then this family is left devastated, confused, hurt. You know, the trauma response has caused layers of, of pain and confusion in a household. Um, and that those layers can go so incredibly deep that I've seen them end in suicide. So my job is to tell you this. The main person that will be hurt is the person who is most resistant to reality. It isn't the child. The child isn't going to be... Um, damaged or injured by your awareness and clarity and um, consistency and lack of showing of signs of compassion and just being straight up and blunt and saying no when you really want to say yes and all sweet children would get a yes in those situations you're allowed to say no and take a step back and decide how to play um, play it out as a parent you're allowed to do that you have the right to do that um and it is beneficial to the child um I'll just tell you like this my kid um has her fight or flight response isn't fight or flight it's freeze actually so when she gets in trouble and I'm really serious um she just doesn't say anything at all because what she would normally say is usually like trying to lie and defend and talk back or whatever. So when I'm really not messing around and she knows it, um, she freezes. She does not physically flinch or move or um, show any sign of, um, you know, she's, she's just still, still and quiet. And... I've recently discovered that she's been very disrespectful to her new will-be stepmom. She's a younger woman. She's younger than myself, but she has three little boys. um, And she and my kid are having a a power struggle. And so when I was trying to talk to her about it, and I asked her, like, okay. She's like, I'm really having a hard time with my respect issues. I'm being very disrespectful. Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about what respect means. What, who do you respect? She's like, okay, I respect you. Well, that's to be expected because she's talking to me, but she actually does respect me in the sense of general. She, she disobeys me, breaks my rules, of course, but she does show obedience and respect to me um, as an overview, right? So I said, okay, so you respect me? And of course she's going to say that because I'm the person she's talking to. So I'm like, all right. Let's talk about that. What does respect feel like to you when you do feel that you respect someone? How does a person get your respect in your mind? She said, well, I don't know. I mean, you're just the kind of person that demands respect anyway. Like, people have to respect you. So I let her say that. And then we talked about intention. And we talked about power struggle. And we talked about these things in a more mature way where... You know, she explained to me that um, your willingness to engage and argue with her, which I learned from a long, long time ago from my own mom, (laughs) is 
it's really important because the fact that they're having these debates and arguments and going back and forth, it has led to a point where when there is a moment where she should be respectful, um, like she was caught with a secret phone there and she explained the story to me that she tried to, you know, um, not that she was physically fighting, but she was physical in her effort to maintain control of the phone. And like, so she like tried to snatch it back or she tried to hide it or do something that, that she definitely would not have done in my house because she just knows not to do that. And we talked about it. So, um, you know, now that she's able to communicate more clearly and of course, you know, like with everything, I know that there's an opportunity for triangulation even here in this conversation with her. But ultimately, I believe what she's saying because <clears throat> I, I did raise her a specific way. Um, and, and she never had an opportunity to power play with me. So, <clears throat> um, you know, if you're arguing about schoolwork and the kid is on YouTube or something that they're not supposed to be or they're not supposed to do until they're finished with their chores and, and you start arguing with them instead of taking the computer physically shutting it and just being very matter of fact about what the plan is. And I'm not telling anyone how to raise their child. I'm simply advising based on the type of, of person you're dealing with as a person that's waiting um, to seize an opportunity of weakness or, um, you know, of, of a power gain. So if you give opportunities for power gains, you are losing every time. Um, and so, you know, hearing that out of her mouth, um, you know, it's definitely insightful and it's, it's validating, um, because we're seeing it play out in a different way now. And of course I don't want that for her. Like I want her to be respectful and do the right thing. So I'm not encouraging her bad behavior, but I, I try to figure out, um, and have her check into an awareness so that she can at least manage herself in a way that's acceptable um, in times like this until she can really, like, uh, until she can manage the relationship correctly. So I have essentially been talking for an hour, rambling about something that's probably not even very um, useful, but I'm going to go ahead and post it because... We'll just see what happens, you know? So there you go. Triangulation. Uh, me rambling for an hour about a topic that I believe everybody should know um, how to manage themselves within their dynamic. And they need to know very much uh, what the consequences are. So I want to hear your feedback. Don't forget to like us, subscribe, share, all of that. I'm a, I have a YouTube channel now. It's at Reactive Attachments, just like it is on Instagram. Facebook and anywhere else. So send us a voice message on Anchor or a message on Facebook, Instagram, Gmail at Reactive Attachments. All right, you guys. I'll talk to you soon and I love you all very much. Have a good one and uh, keep, keep the social distancing, the face masks and all the other precautions so that you're all still here next time I post um, an episode in 100 years.